the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to An Old Fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you on this edition of Lifeline. As our program continues, this next show from the 1950s illustrates the importance of family, especially during the holiday season. Produced by Family Theater, here's A Daddy for Christmas from December 15th of 1948. As the special edition of Lifeline continues here on KFAX. A Daddy for Christmas, starring Pat O'Brien, Linda Johnson, and Bobby Driscoll. Shirley Temple is your hostess. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. As a little girl, I once received a doll for Christmas. It wasn't very expensive, nor even the prettiest doll in my collection. But I kept that doll and cherished it long after my other Christmas toys had disappeared. It came from someone I loved, someone who loved me, too. No matter how high the gifts are piled, any Christmas tree is bare which doesn't have love around it. That's why it's so important for us to make our homes places of love. Not just Christmas Day, but every day of the year. And one thing is certain. Love is always present in the home where daily family prayer is a practice. Family prayer will bring love and goodness and understanding. The best Christmas gifts any family can receive. Shirley Temple will speak again following our play, A Daddy for Christmas, starring Pat O'Brien, Bobby Driscoll, and Linda Johnson. Christmas as a special occasion. With me, well, I guess it's what my little Stevie would call extra special. As long as I live, Christmas will be extra special for me now. But in early December last year, when I took Stevie to the toy department of Weber's department store, I had no idea, to quote Stevie again, how extra, extra special that Christmas was going to be. just talked to the Santa across the, uh, when he was across the street. I forgot to tell him something. I think you asked for everything in the store. But okay, this is your picnic. As soon as that little girl gets through. Now, Santa Claus. Well, 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 what a nice little boy. Come here and tell Santa what you want for Christmas. You know. Huh? I'm Stephen Hunt. You know what I want. Uh, Santa, you took his list when you were across the street in Wilson's department store? Oh, oh, yes, yeah, that's right. I remember you now. I was getting you all mixed up with another nice little boy I know. Mommy calls me a little scamp. Oh, oh, oh but you're a nice little scamp. I'll tell you what, son. I, I left my notebook across the street. So, uh, 
How about you give me that list of all the things all over again? First, uh, what's your address? Stephen Hart, 2228 Elm Street. All right, Stephen. Now, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I want the sled. Mm-hmm. The bicycle. With two wheels? With three wheels. Oh, that's a tricycle. I don't want a tricycle. I want a bicycle. With three wheels? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. One bicycle with three wheels. I got it. Then I want a scooter, a pony, a wagon... And I want a daddy. Daddy? His daddy didn't come back from the war. I don't think Stevie remembers him, but... But all his friends have daddies. And I want a daddy, too. <laughs> I'm afraid a daddy is a little out of Santa Claus's line, darling. <clears throat> uh, well, uh, <clears throat> son, let's, uh, let's check that address again. Stephen Hunt, 20... Stephen Hunt, 2228 Elm Street. <laughs> It was a lonely Christmas Eve for Stevie and me. Christmas away from my folks and my late husband. It's just a bit hard to take. But my job as secretary in a lawyer's office didn't allow me time for a trip home. Stevie and I lived in a made-over two-room apartment in one corner of a family dwelling with an entrance off the driveway. Mrs. Ross and my landlady, who took care of Stevie when I was at work, was visiting her daughter's family that evening and over Christmas Day. Stevie and I were alone. Stevie kept rearranging the few wrapped packages at the foot of our little Christmas tree. All right, Stevie, off to bed. I said to bed, not to the window. I'm looking for Santa Claus. Now get to bed. Santa will come after you're asleep. There he is now. There who is? There's Santa Claus. He's coming up the drive with a great big bag. What? Here he comes, here he comes. Stevie, what on earth? Christmas, Merry Christmas! Santa Claus, Santa Claus! I told Mommy it was you. What'd you bring me? It is Santa Claus. Oh, please, lady, uh, don't tell me you don't believe in Santa Claus. I, I'll believe anything now. What'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? Well, now wait, let me put my bag down first. Oh, what are you doing here? Well, I was just flying by on my reindeer, my sleigh, when I saw what a nice Christmas tree you had and decided to drop in. Well, I couldn't find a chimney on this side of the house, so I decided to use the door. Where's your reindeer? Hmm? Uh, oh, oh, my reindeer. Oh, I sent them back to the North Pole to pick up some more toys. What did you bring me? Well, let's open my bag here. See what we got for Stephen. Well, bicycle with three wheels. Oh, Mommy, look. Santa Claus remembered. Can I ride it? Can I? It's got a bell. It's got a bell. Mommy... Mommy, what's the matter? Nothing, honey. I'm just happy because... because Santa Claus remembered. He's really asleep now. That, uh, Santa suit must be awfully hot. Would you like to take it off? I'll say. Uh, there. Uh, now the beard. Oh, that feels better. <gasps> Why, you, you... What's the matter? You're a young man. Is that bad? No, but... But I just thought Santa Claus was older. I, I mean... You mean you thought Santa Claus was older? Well, I hope you're not too, too disappointed. My, my name's Joe Regan. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Regan. Won't you... Joe. 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 Won't you please sit down? Yeah, thanks. <sighs> now, tell me... Why did you do this? Not that I don't appreciate it. Well, I had to. After all, I'm Santa Claus. And the swell little kid with a pretty and nice acting mother comes up to me and says, 
Santa, I want a bicycle with three wheels. Well, what kind of a Santa Claus would I be if I didn't come through? But why, why Stevie? There must have been thousands of boys and girls who asked you for presents. Why Stevie? Well, maybe it's because he asked for something different. He said he wanted a daddy for Christmas. Oh, no. That's going too far, Joe. I, I mean, Mr. Regan. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I, I'm afraid Stevie won't get his daddy for Christmas. Uh, maybe by Easter? Yeah. Oh, no, of course not, but already I, I like you a good deal. Well, I like you too, but we sound like a couple of kids. A couple of nice kids, I'll have you know. <laughs> Joe, you're crazy. You're the most audacious, the most... Oh, you're very nice, Joe, but that tricycle must have cost a lot of money. You'll have to return it. I won't take that bicycle with three wheels away from Stevie. You do it. Oh, oh no, I couldn't. He already loves it. He... All right, you win. He keeps the tricycle. One round for Joe Regan. But about that daddy business, uh-uh, that's out. But it wasn't out. Joe kept coming around, sometimes to see me and sometimes to take Stevie, who adored him for an outing. We were married shortly before Easter, and we were lucky. We found a little furnished house in a nice section of the city, and I talked Joe into quitting the job he had in a furniture factory, where he did a lot of manual labor, into taking a sales position with the Jensen Hardware Company. Strangely, Joe balked at this and insisted he preferred working with his hands, but he finally gave in. After all, the, the new job held something of a future. The best part of it all was, for the first time in his war-born life, Stevie began to know what a home was. You're out. I am not. That was a foul tip. You're out. You're out. All right. We'll have to ask the umpire. Jimmy, wasn't that a foul tip? Uh-uh. You struck out. One, two, three, you're out. Oh, well, you kids are ganging up on me. It's my bat. Stevie! Stevie! Get that, Stevie? I want a bat first. No, no. Can't keep Mother waiting. Last one of the house is the monkey's uncle. So long, Jimmy. So long. See you in the morning. Hey, you got a head start. <laughs> I beat, I beat. You're a monkey's uncle. Hello, Mommy. Daddy's a monkey's uncle. <laughs> Hello, darling. My, you're getting harder to pick up every day. Uh, how about it? Doesn't the monkey's uncle get a kiss? Ah, better. Sometimes it was like having two little boys around the house. But what mother objects to that? There were other times, however, when Joe was more than a little boy to me. Much more. Honey, why did you marry me? What? Why did you marry me? Well, how can you ask a question like that? Well, I guess, well, when I used to pester you about it, I used to tell you Stevie needed a father, and that was my main sales talk. Joe... I married you because I love you. I need you. You should know that. Oh, yes, of course. But the way you do it on that kid, well... Joe, I love you so much. I, I guess I did almost from the start. When I was Santa Claus? <laughs> no, silly. Well, that's when I fell in love with you. Just as soon as Stevie told me he wanted a daddy and I looked at you realizing I had a chance. You looked like everything I wanted. And when I got to know you... You were everything I wanted. 
Joe was everything I wanted. At least that's what I thought until late one afternoon in August. Hello, Mary. What's the matter? Joe, the lights won't go on. They're on next door, and I checked the fuses. Joe, you didn't forget to pay the bill. But I did forget, honey. I, I didn't have anything to pay it with. I thought they gave you a second notice. But, Joe, we budgeted. Why didn't you have anything? I was fired last Thursday. The boss didn't think that you I... You haven't been working a week and you didn't tell me? I'm sorry, honey. I didn't want to worry you. But you've been leaving the house the same time every morning. I didn't want you to know until I got something new. You seemed to think it for granted I was doing so well. I just didn't want to worry you, that's all. <laughs> no, don't do anything to worry me. Just have the light company turn off our lights without notice. I'll have them on again tomorrow. But how? I said I'd have them on tomorrow, and that's enough. Don't speak to me like that. Well, stop putting me through a third degree. Now I suppose you want to know why I got fired. Well, it's because I'm a lousy salesman, that's why. You're the only one who thinks I'm a, I'm a personality kid. Don't worry, Joe. You'll get something better. Something with a real future. And about the bill, I've got some money saved. I said I'd pay that bill. <laughs> listening to an old-fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to An Old-Fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you on this edition of Lifeline. As our program continues, this next show from the 1950s illustrates the importance of family, especially during the holiday season. Produced by Family Theater, here's A Daddy for Christmas from December 15th of 1948 as the special edition of Lifeline continues here on KFAX. He paid the bill all right by pawning two pieces of his very fine leather luggage. That was our first quarrel. A couple of weeks later, Joe was in the yard cutting the lawn when Stevie came home from school. Hi, Stevie. High school. It's fun, but, Daddy, all the kids have cowboy boots. Can I have them? Well, well, let's see. Let me think about that a little, Stevie. No. No, we might as well start in being frank about these things right now. Come here, son. Jimmy's got cowboy boots with red and yellow. Stevie, I want you to listen to me. There are times when our family doesn't have much money and we have to get along without some of the things we'd like to have. Some other times we'll have a little extra money and get some of those extra things. Then I can't have those cowboy boots? I'm afraid not, fellow. Not right now. Yes, you will, honey. We'll go downtown and get you some cowboy boots Saturday. Mary, I didn't know that... I'm going to get some boots. I'm going to get some boots. I'm going to go tell Jim. You shouldn't have told him to get those boots just after I said we couldn't afford it. All the other youngsters are wearing them, and I don't want him to know we can't afford it. You've got to learn sometime. Well, there are things we can't have just for the asking. Well, he's too young to learn now. All right. But how can we pay for them out of my unemployment money? I, I got a little money from my folks this week. They, they sent it to help out fit Stevie for school. Oh, I didn't know. His shoulders drooped when he turned for me to walk into the house. I wanted to run after him and cradle his head in my arms like I do my other little boy when he's hurt, but I didn't. Weeks passed and Joe couldn't seem to find a job, at least not the kind I wanted him to have. But Mary, every time I think I can get a job, you say it isn't suitable. What do you want to live like anyway? Joe, it's not me I'm thinking of. I just want to be sure Stevie gets all the things he needs. I see. I'll keep looking for the career job so Stevie can get all the things you think he needs. He tried, but that was all. Finally, I spoke to Mr. Emerson, and he offered me my job back. I thought Joe would raise the roof, but... So you're going back to work, huh? 
Just until you get something good again. Oh, I guess that's best. No need for Stevie to do without things because I can't provide them. better if he'd objected. Even insisted I didn't take the job. So I returned to work for the first time since we were married. The third evening after work when I came home, the house was strangely quiet. Joe! Joe! Stevie! <laughs> Stevie, honey, what's the matter? Oh, oh, Daddy, Daddy! What about Daddy? He went away to go and sleep. Oh, no. No, Stevie. Honey, did, did he leave anything? Uh, a letter from Mommy? Oh, here it is on the table. Dearest Mary. I know you'll think I'm a quitter and despise me for leaving this way. But it's going to be hard enough saying goodbye to Stevie. And I'm afraid you might change my mind. And we'd all be worse off. I can't stay. Can't marry because I can't be the things you wanted your husband and Stevie's father to be. I'll never do big things. I don't especially want to. I don't want to be anything more than just an ordinary guy. Bus driver, a mechanic, something like that. That's the whole story. Goodbye. Good luck. And if by some strange chance I do get ahead, I'll try to make up for this. I promise. I didn't see how I could bear it. But life must go on. And then, of course, there was Stevie. I've written all Joe's relatives, all his friends. They haven't heard from him either. Poor Stevie. He's tried to keep up a brave front. But many times at night, I hear him crying himself to sleep. Sometimes, at first, I cried in bed, too. Then I started telling myself... At least this way, Stevie won't grow up under the influence of a father utterly lacking in ambition. And I got some satisfaction in knowing that when Jimmy Webster got a fur-lined aviator cap, my boy got a fur-lined aviator cap, too. That is, I did until last Saturday when Jimmy came over to our house. You make swell cookies, Mrs. Regan. Thank you, Jimmy. You'll get some as soon as they're finished. When's Mr. Regan coming back? Uh, I, I don't know. Jimmy... Does Stevie talk about him much? No. He don't talk about him at all. I wish he was my dad. Jimmy. I guess that's wrong, but Mr. Regan always played with us kids. Showed us how to throw a ball. Right way to hold a bat. Thing like that. My dad hardly even talks to me. I don't think he even likes me. Oh, your daddy loves you. Well, why do you suppose he's always getting you all those nice presents and those swell clothes? If he loves me, why doesn't he act like Mr. Regan? Jimmy, you've got to love your own father. If he doesn't seem to pay enough attention to you, remember he's a very important man and he has to keep busy. I wish Mr. Regan was home. He's like the only dad I ever had. I finally realized the terrible thing I had done to my Stevie and to Joe. And 
I'd had the nerve to nag him for not giving Stevie the things a father should. I'd even held up Jimmy's father as an example. Poor Joe. He must be feeling lonely, too. I suppose he was at apartment store Santa Claus again this year. Somewhere. Wonder what he's doing tonight. Christmas Eve. I could almost scream the way Stevie keeps looking out the window. Stevie, don't you think it's time you went to bed? Just a little longer, Mommy. Maybe Santa Claus will still come. What can I say? Oh, Joe. Joe, if I could only reach you now to tell you I've learned my lesson. I don't care forever, Rich. What kind of work you do... What counts is you're good for me and Stevie. What counts is you, Hugh, and Joe. Joe, it's Christmas. Do you think Santa'll come, Mom? I hope so, Stevie. I hope so. But if he were going to, he'd be here by now. It would be like Joe to come back tonight for Stevie. Maybe if he comes back for Stevie, I can get him to stay for me. What's the matter? Nothing, honey. Nothing at all. <gasps> okay, it's off to bed with you. Are you crying because Santa Claus didn't come? Never mind. It's time. I'll get it. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Don, I knew you'd come. I knew it. <gasps> it's Daddy! 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 Hello, son. You're back to stay, aren't you, Joe? Yes, I'm back. And Mary... I'm sorry I left the way I did. I was a coward. From now on, I'll try to be the kind of a guy you want. No, dear. From now on, just be yourself. That's the kind of guy I want. Oh, Mary. Oh, enough of this moist stuff. I gotta go about my business. See, you've been a good boy. Perfect. Just like his daddy. Well, that's too bad. Well, let's see what we got here. Ooh, a racer with big rubber tires. Thank you, Santa. Daddy? Daddy? What is it, fella? I know where you've been. You do? You've been up at the North Pole making toys. You know, I couldn't have thought of a better explanation. That's the only one I ever want to hear. This is Shirley Temple again. Often have the gift of expressing our feelings far better than we can ourselves. Here is a poem I think you'll like. It's called The Flight of Prayer. Who knows what wonders happen when we pray, what forces stir, what golden blessings run toward us and glad feet each time we say, in all sincerity, Thy will be done. We cannot follow with our mortal sight the flight of prayer. We cannot hope to chart its secret course. But suddenly a light dawns and the weight is lifted from our heart. For prayer has powers that we know not of to heal and comfort, to provide and bless. All the resources of eternal love move to sustain us in the hour of stress, clothing us safely round with life and power in even the darkest and most urgent hour. Thank you for being with us, and God bless you.
Johnson and Bobby Driscoll for their fine performances, and to Jack Lyman for writing our play. Max Tear scored and conducted the music. This transcribed production was directed by David Young, Tony Lafrano speaking. You're listening to an old-fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to an old-fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you on this edition of Lifeline. As we move into the closing portions of our program tonight, a very special treat. It's the presentation of Stars Over Hollywood with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, originally broadcast December 25th of 1951. Our special Christmas gift to you on this Christmas Eve edition of Lifeline from KF. FAX. This is Edmund Gwen with a welcome to Stars Over Hollywood. And here is your host, Art Bellinger. Welcome to Hollywood, home and workshop of the world's most glamorous people. We're happy to say that each week, Stars Over Hollywood is brought to you by Carnation, the world's favorite brand of evaporated milk. And today, we present transcribed A Christmas Carol, starring Edmund Gwynn. Yes, it's Carnation bringing you Stars Over Hollywood. And speaking of stars, here is the distinguished actor of the stage and screen, Academy Award winner Edmund Gwynn. Oh, thank you, Art. And I consider it my privilege to be able to further the spirit of Christmas through the work of one of my favorite authors, Charles Dickens. You know, Mr. Gwen, this is going to be quite a switch for you. Mm-hmm. In your portrayal of Santa Claus in the motion picture Miracle of 34th Street, mm-hmm. you symbolized everything that Christmas means. Whereas today, you're... Today, Art, I shall be quite the opposite, I hope, as the dispirited and embittered Scrooge. And that's a performance to which we've certainly been looking forward. And now, Act One of A Christmas Carol, starring Edmund Gwen in the dual role of Charles Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge. The scene is old London town on a bleak, cold December evening in the year 1843. Seated behind a table in a drab, cheerless, unheated room is a worried-looking man. He frowns as he scribbles laboriously with a scratchy pen, carefully putting words down on the paper spread before him. A Christmas Carol in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas. Mr. Dickens? Mr. Dickens! The thing to do is simply not answer it. Perhaps it'll go away. It's no good pretending you're not there. I saw you come in. Oh, dear. I suppose I may as well face it. So you finally decided to answer me. Good evening, Mrs. Bumblefist. Won't you come in? It's no good turning your charm with words on me, Mr. Dickens. I've come for me rent, and I means to have me rent, and I'm not leaving this room till I has. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Mrs. Bumblefist. But I promise you'll have your rent first thing tomorrow. You've said that before. This time, there's no doubt of it. You see, tonight, I'm going to write a story that I hope will turn out to be, oh, my very best story. It seems to me that it ought to begin, let's see. Yeah. Marley was dead. There's no doubt about ever about that. Old Marley was dead as a doornail, and Scrooge knew it. How could it be otherwise? Marley and Scrooge have been partners for, oh, I don't know how many years. Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, rasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. 
Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. He was counting his money and keeping one eye on his clerk, Bob Cratchit, when the door opened and Scrooge's nephew, Fred, came in. Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Oh, humble. Uncle. Nephew. You keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good it has ever done you. Well, there are many things, Uncle, from which I might have derived good, by which I haven't profited, I dare say. And Christmas is one of them. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Mm. Who's that? Then you, catch it. Uh, yes, sir. Excuse me, sir. Another sound from you, and you'll keep Christmas by losing your situation. Oh, now, don't be angry, Uncle. Join us for dinner tomorrow. Why? Because it's Christmas, and we'd like you to spend it with us. Christmas throughout. Humbug. Scrooge dismissed his nephew curtly and refused the invitation. The door had no sooner closed than Scrooge turned his attention to his clerk, Cratchit. And as the closing hour arrived, he called him into his office. Hmm. Uh, you, you'll want all day off tomorrow, I suppose. If, it, if it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Hmm. Oh, well, I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning, though. Scrooge closed the office and walked to his chambers. Went in. Then he lit a candle and looked everywhere. Sitting room, bedroom, under the table, the sofa and the closet. Yeah. Quite satisfied, he closed his door, locked himself in, put on his dressing gown and slippers, and sat down before the fire. Suddenly he heard a clanking noise, deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain behind him. But the chains came closer, and squinting into the dimly lit shadows, Scrooge beheld an apparition he, he immediately recognized. I was your partner, huh? Jacob Marley. Uh, I don't believe it is humbug. Humbug, I tell you. Uh, mercy. Mercy, dreadful apparition. Do you believe in me? I, I do. I do. I, I, I must. But why? Why do spirits walk the earth? Why do you come to me? It is a required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. Uh -huh. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. 
It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Jacob. Oh, good Jacob, speak. Comfort to me, Jacob. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. I'd rather not, if you don't mind. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. One. The second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Farewell, Ebenezer. With these words, the apparitions walked backward and faded through the door. Scrooge examined it. It was still firmly locked. He tried to say, but the word caught in his throat. So, without undressing, he went straight to bed and fell fast asleep. You're listening to An Old Fashioned Christmas, our special Christmas gift to you. Back with more in a moment. Welcome back to An Old Fashioned Christmas on this edition of Lifeline. As we move into the closing portions of our program tonight, a very special treat. It's the presentation of Stars Over Hollywood with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, originally broadcast December 25th of 1951. Our special Christmas gift to you on this Christmas Eve edition of Lifeline from KFAX. We return now to the second act of A Christmas Carol, starring Edmund Gwen in the dual role of Charles Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge. When Scrooge awoke, he was aware of a clock in the neighboring church striking the quarter. So he listened for the hour. Finally, it struck. One o'clock. Oh, but that's impossible, Scrooge thought. It had been after two when he went to bed. Could he have slept clear around the clock? Oh, well, as he was speculating on this turn of events, there was a sudden burst of light. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and there stood a strange figure like a child. His hair was long and white with age, yet its skin hadn't hadn't a wrinkle in it. And somehow, Scrooge knew that this was the first of the spirits of whom Marley had spoken. Are you are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Well, who are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Hmm? Your past. Rise and walk with me. As the words were spoken, Scrooge and the spirit passed through the window and stood upon an open country road. All had vanished, and with it the darkness, for it was now a cold, clear winter day. Is this place familiar to you, Ebenezer? I was reared in this place. I've been born here. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Mm -hmm. Let us go on. 
I walked along the road of Scrooge's childhood, recalling every gate and post, tree and incident. Tarry not here, Ebenezer. There is much to see and the time grows short. Let us pay a visit now to old Fezziwig. Fezziwig? Well, I was apprentice there. Oh, there, Ebenezer, dear boy. Paddock, no more work tonight. It's Christmas Eve. Now clear away, me lad. Let's have a lot of room here. We're going to have a party for everyone. Fezziwig was a good man. A fine man. He made us all happy that day. A small matter. Hmm. How can you say that? He was a kind, wonderful employer. A generous him. What is it, Ebenezer? What's the matter? Nothing. I, I, I should just like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, at all. That's enough, I think. Come, our time is up. Oh. I must conduct you home. next moment, Scrooge found himself back in his bed, and to his complete surprise, the clock was again striking. There was another flash of brilliant light, and the whole room underwent a transformation. The walls and ceiling were suddenly hung with living green. Heaped upon the floor, to form a kind of throne, were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long weeks of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, battles of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, immense cakes, and, oh, seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Mm. In easy state upon this throne, there sat a jolly giant, roaring with laughter, like old Sir Nicholas himself. <laughs> Come in, Ebenezer, and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. <laughs> You'd never have seen the like of me before, have you? No, no, never. But if you have anything to teach me... You let me profit by it. Good! Touch me, rope. There now, away we go. Scrooge did as he was told and held fast. Soon he and the second spirit stood outside the humble home of Scrooge's clerk, Bob Cratchit. The family was gathered round the table, and although there was very little to eat, Everyone was smiling and laughing <laughs> and seemed to be having a wonderful time. There now, is everyone here? Yes. Are you comfortable, Tiny Tim? Oh, yes, Father, thank you. As comfortable as can be, I suppose. But come, this is a joyous occasion. Let us all raise our glasses and drink a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all. And God bless us, everyone. Tell me, tell me if the little crippled boy 
Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child shall die. No, no kind of spirit say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Oh, oh what can I do? How can I alter the future? It is in your power more than you may think. The hour of twelve. It is time for your next and final journey. The pleasant ghost of Christmas present vanished on a moonbeam, and in its place stood a horrible phantom, draped and hooded. Spirit of Christmas yet to come. But although Scrooge spoke to the Phantom, the spirit answered not. No. His replies were only eerie sounds in the night. And he pointed into the blackness with a bony finger. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened will happen in the time before us. Oh, I, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. The night is waning fast and, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on. Followed the directions of the phantom's pointing finger, and the strange scene unfolded before his eyes. He found himself in a graveyard, walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life, choked up with too much burying. The spirit pointed to a stone and to the name etched upon it, and Scrooge walked forward and read the inscription. E, B, E, N, Eben. No, 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 spirit. Hear me, hear me. I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man I would have been, but for what I have learned, one chance, spirit, one chance, I beg of you that I'm a henceforth honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all here. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, one chance. Dear spirit, I beg of you. Scrooge put out his hand toward the draped and hooded figure and felt the bedpost in his room. He was in his bed. The sun was shining. It was morning. He dashed out of bed and ran to the window, throwing it open, and called to a boy in the street. Hi, you. You there? Me, sir? Yes, you. Hi, what day's today? Today, sir? Yeah. Why, it's Christmas Day, sir. Oh. Merry 
had all come on the same night. Perhaps he dreamed them. Now, but he didn't care to take a chance, no. No, this was Christmas Day, and there was time to keep his promise. He would honor Christmas in his heart and try to keep it all the year. He dressed in all haste, started on his way. He sang with the carolers, wished everybody Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, gave coins to the poor, bought food for the hungry. He sent a turkey to Bob Cratchit's, which was larger than Tiny Tim himself. Yeah, he bought out the stores of everything good to eat and presented himself at his nephew's house to celebrate a Christmas dinner. And Scrooge's good deeds did not stop at the end of Christmas Day. No, no, he gave Bob Cratchit a raise in salary and took the welfare of Tiny Tim into his own hands. Through his efforts, the little crippled boy did not die. No, no, he lived to be as well as you and I. He, Scrooge, became as good a friend, as good an employer, as had ever been seen in any city or town in this good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people didn't have their full of laughter. <laughs> no, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed that knowledge. May that be truly said of all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed... God bless us, everyone. And a Merry Christmas to you all. So the curtain comes down on the final act of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. This week's Stars Over Hollywood show presented by Carnation Evaporated Milk and starring Edmund Gwen. In just a moment, we'll have news about next week's show. Meantime, how about a curtain call, Mr. Gwen? Oh, thank you, Art. You know, I've played the part of Scrooge many times, but never played in more pleasant Dickensian company than today. Well, we're very happy to hear that, Mr. Gwen, and for our part... Let me say that you've added another triumphant performance to your already long list of successes. Oh. How many motion pictures have you appeared in, incidentally? Oh, about 50 in all lot. Over 20 in Europe and about 30 in America. Not to mention the tremendous number of stage plays to your credit, too. Mm. Mr. Gwen, I have no doubt the warming influence of Tiny Tim has taken all the chill out of Scrooge's nature. But just in case, let me offer you this cup of hot coffee, which I believe you'll enjoy all the more for the fact that it's creamed with carnation. Oh, thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, Edmund Gwen, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Our broadcast of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was adapted by Ralph Rose. Supporting Mr. Gwen were Betty Harford, Ben Wright, Alec Harford, Eric Snowden, Jay Novello, Raymond Lawrence, Charlie Lung, Tudor Owen and Diane Abbott. Special music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. The program was transcribed and directed by Hans Conried. Stars Over Hollywood comes to you from our Hollywood studios and is heard in Canada over the Dominion Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. There is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, originally broadcast December 22nd of 1951. Our special Christmas gift to you on this Christmas edition of Lifeline. Uh... 
Well, I'm afraid with that program, that's all we have for tonight on this edition of Lifeline. Coming up tomorrow, it's our Christmas Day special. Two full hours of Christmas music to get you in the spirit and keep you there as you celebrate the real reason for the season with you and yours. On behalf of all of us here at KFAX, the staff and management, my producer Wanda Sanchez, my engineer Rick Strauss, and all the folks that help make this program possible, let me wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Till next time, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get on out there and share it and have a great Christmas. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.